Come gather round the campfire and hear our ghostly tales of chilling terrors, darkest woes, and anything that goes bump in the night. So cuddle up with your best friend or dare it alone. The darkness is closing in and spirits are calling your name. This is Fireside Phantoms. A friend of mine who helps me with ideas for stories suggested over a year ago that we cover a story about a book published in 1989 called The Vertical Plane. Okay. Written by Ken Webster. Okay, Ken. Yes. In the article she sent me, the paranormal incident, also known as the Doddleston Messages, involved a strange series of communications that were being received on a BBC microcomputer back in 1984. (laughs) You remember how those sounded? (laughs) I remember those old computers and they were just like, um, it took forever. Yeah. And... um, these messages seem to point to a possibility of paranormal activity. So it really piqued my interest because it seemed to indicate, you know, a ghost in the machine type of phenomena. Ooh, cool. But I could not get my hands on this book, which documented all of this. It was just impossible to get without forking over $200 or more for a physical copy. Really? So it was out of print? Yes. But to my surprise, very recently, a second edition has been published now and is available on Amazon for less than $20. So I'm very excited to share this fascinating story today. I purchased the book, read it last week. Um, This will be a two-part episode because I want to cover not only the story of what happened, and it's quite intense, but the investigations and interesting theories that have developed over the last 35 years since its first publication. It's very difficult to take the story as anything but fiction, so fair warning, but the group of people involved and the author who experienced these paranormal events all swear it is true. Okay. The author states, quote, What would you do if something very strange and bewildering happened to you? Something uninvited yet benign. Something which happened over and over again and which involved your friends, lover, and colleagues. Would you want people to know? I would think they're all in on together. (laughs) Would Holly's already trying to make um, conclusions without even (laughs) knowing what the story is about. I'm like, you guys. Wouldn't you want her on your jury? Stop trying to Uh, gaslight me. Guilty. (laughs) I don't even need to see the witness. Guilty. I already know. Um, Anyway, back to the quote. Would you want help in understanding it? Yes, yes. But my experience suggests you would be wasting your time. End quote. And that's by the author. Um, He was very frustrated by the whole experience. Um, And we'll get more into that. Is Ken still alive? Is he still alive? Yes. Okay. He is. December of 1984 until the spring of 1987, 300 plus messages were received by a mysterious person or persons and collected by Ken Webster, who resided in Doddleston, England with his girlfriend, Debbie, and roommate, Nicola, affectionately called Nick for short. Ken worked at Howarden School 
teaching economics in the neighboring town of Wales, and the school was known for its computer literacy emphasis and was given special funds to equip the school with several BBC microcomputer systems. They allowed teachers to borrow them for periods of time to familiarize themselves with the systems and work on projects at home. Ken, Debbie, and Nick lived together in a residence called Meadow Cottage, an old converted farmhouse made of several other residents. Their unit was at one end and was in the process of a huge renovation and remodeling project. Paranormal activities started to appear in the home shortly after the project started. Pans would stack up in the middle of the floor. It was noticed that there were dusty small footprints going up a wall and the print had six toes a mutant. (laughs) After repainting and cleaning, the footprints would reappear again. There were noises of chalk writing, and they would come home to find all kinds of odd things, like cat food tins, glasses, and furniture stacked up. Did they have cats? And precariously balanced. They must have, because there was cat cat tins. tins. They must have, yeah. Copper pan handles were bent, and nobody felt comfortable going into the living room or kitchen alone at night. At times, the house would shake, and pounding would be heard on the roof. So, you know, at that time, there weren't workers remodeling, and they'd be hearing pounding on the roof at night. Okay. It's so creepy. Ken talked to one of his musician friends, John, about the issues, and John said it sounded like they had a poltergeist. Mm -hmm. Okay. Ken brought home one of the BBC microcomputers from school prompted by his roommate, Nick, who thought it might be helpful for her to type up some comedy sketches she was trying to produce. Nick was in between jobs and was hoping to start a cabaret group. The operating system had a chip named Edward, which was standard for all the BBC microsystems. Back then, computers did not have any network access to other computer systems or the Internet. What year is it again? 1984. Okay. Oh, George Orwell. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't notice the correlation there. The computer program was accessed by typing at the prompt arrow on the home screen the word Edward and then hitting return. The system would also prompt you to save the document when it is finished to a floppy disk. Unlike computers today, there was no way to lock the screen when someone stepped away, and it was easier at times just to leave the computer on at the home prompt screen rather than shutting all the way down anytime someone left. Hell you to that. I still feel that true. I know, I don't like it. (laughs) One afternoon, Ken, Nick, and Debbie all left the house for a short visit to their friend David at his home. On return, Ken, curious to see how Nick's work was coming along, found a file listed on the computer disk with a weird message. Ken, Deb, Nick, true are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks. Pussycat, pussycat went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your Redeemer. Ken questioned Nick regarding the odd message, and they both laughed it off as a creepy prank, probably from a friend of theirs who sometimes popped by unannounced to record guitar music with Ken. Perhaps he was writing lyrics because the poem made no sense. 
The computer was eventually returned back to the school, and nobody really thought any more about the incident. Time passed, and a different computer was brought home again in February of 1985. The computer was accidentally left on again, and a new file appeared. The file contained an odd message, as if it was a continued conversation with someone, and it referenced a person by the name of Edward Gray, saying, Edward can afford expensive things like electric lights. The person sending the message also expressed anger that his house was being occupied and swindled from him in a devious bribe. He ends the message with the initials LW. Hmm. That's weird. Yeah. Ken was curious about the message because it was written in an old English dialect, and he decided to discuss the strange text with other teachers in the school for possible insight into this message. Most of the teachers had little input and thought he was reading too much into it and suggested someone was probably just playing a prank on him or had access to his home and was using the computer without his knowledge. But one teacher, Peter Trindell, who taught English and was a friend of Ken's, was more puzzled because the language reminded him of the literary author Chaucer and was almost an exact match to the dialect written in the 16th century. Okay. That's a long time ago. Yep, yep. So their ghost is from the 16th century. Yeah. He told Ken that very few people could mimic that specific style or have an understanding of the vocabulary, which was very different to our modern English language. So as an attempt to gather more information, Ken, Debbie, and Nick decide to write back to this mysterious person on the computer. They typed up a series of questions to see if they would get a response. They asked if L.W. could confirm their present year. They left the house for dinner, going to a local pub, and came back a few hours later hoping to find an answer and were not disappointed. The message from L.W. said the date was March 28, 1521. Oh, shit. Okay. And so the fall down the rabbit hole begins. Sure. Okay. Things really get interesting when L.W. starts calling himself Lucas Wayne Man <laughs> and realizes that Ken and his other roommates are now living in the same spot as his present home in the 16th century. Lucas tells them a green man stepped out of his fireplace holding a leem's boista, translated as a light box. He called himself one and told Lucas not to fear, but left him the device. His young cook, Catherine, was asleep at the time and could not see the light box. Then about two weeks later, she was pleasantly singing near the light box, and Lucas realized her voice was appearing as text on the strange device. Hmm. You know, this reminds me a lot of Alexa. <laughs> you know, really? Alexa, you shout and it like... Lights up? Lights so up. So do you think it was an Alexa that this guy brought to him from the future through his fireplace? It can't be an Alexa because it... it printed out text it like showed actual maybe text. our alexas will eventually do that hey i like w the way you think yeah. maybe hold that thought so lucas kept communicating with them and said he had a wife and son but they both died from the plague in 1517 there were attempts to do research to confirm his identity and other historical events in order to prove it was a hoax one crazy message was the surprise lucas had when it was revealed to him that Ken and his friends were communicating from the year 1985. Lucas was confused and wrote, quote, 
I thought you were also from 2109, like your friend who brought the box of lights. Pray, <laughs> end quote. There were some discrepancies in things Lucas was telling them, but instead of confronting him, they decided to play along in order to get more information. One glaring error that troubled them in the beginning was when Lucas claimed that Henry VIII was married to Catherine Parr and was 46. But Henry was only 30 years old in 1521, not 46 as L.W. claimed. Hmm. Lucas also told them he studied at Jesus College, which didn't exist yet in that time period, not until the year 1571, hmm. far too late for what would be appropriate time for attending college. So Lucas is a chronic liar. <laughs> Maybe. What they failed to realize is that Lucas was testing them oh. as he was very suspicious, thinking they might be sent from the devil. They certainly had electric power that he did not understand. He also thought it might be someone with a nefarious purpose. So he was using an alias, a name of his former teacher, and he was testing them by making historical errors on purpose to see if they really were from the future. So they're both like testing each other. It's really funny. That is funny. He confronted them on their lack of knowledge of historical events and explained that he actually studied law at Bracenose College in Oxford and met the famous Erasmus several times while he was studying there. However, the messages had other issues. Many were filled with added punctuations of commas and question marks, including parentheses that were more in line with our modern standard of writing. Okay. Peter, the English teacher, took an interest in helping to translate the meanings and found that several messages contained many legal terms and words appropriate for someone learned in law, verbiage, and practice. Okay. So that's interesting. Yeah. Meanwhile, Lucas said he could see them moving around in his house, hmm. and he heard all kinds of racket from their remodeling and experienced similar poltergeist activity on his end. Ken realized that they were the ghosts in Lucas's world. Right. Isn't that funny? <laughs> yes. Lucas communicates that he is writing a book to document everything he is experiencing from his perspective. Debbie... Ken's girlfriend starts to have strange dreams where she speaks to Lucas and can see him in his time period. Nobody else has this connection, and Ken makes light of her dreams until one night Debbie starts singing in Latin during her sleep and wakes up telling Ken she sees Lucas in prison with a metal grate over his head that allows just a bit of sunlight to shine through. So Lucas is a criminal. <laughs> That's yeah, why he that's so another, the law. And that's another reason why he has an <laughs> alias. Yeah. But boom, things get thick. <laughs> the group realize they need proof of their experience. So they reach out to the Society for Psychical Research Yay. who come to investigate, bringing their equipment and making sure that their primary suspects, Kin, Debbie, and Peter, aren't putting them who, on. Who Holly <laughs> suspected from the very first sentence, all in it by together. the way. Yep. <laughs> they made sure that they were being all watched and monitored. Mm -hmm. Now, cameras were not really used back then to record the residents, but they did require them to make sure the windows were sealed. Did they watch the movie Poltergeist before they went over there? <laughs> no, they didn't. <laughs> all entry points secured. And they did a thorough search into the computer. 
The team also set traps outside to catch anyone trying to leave or enter the home. A ghost trap. Ghost traps. Ken told them that they had used a couple different computers from the school, but they were all the same model. He had been buying new discs to prevent any student or person from tampering with it. They checked their disc before use of any pre-saved files. The research team decided to bring in their own computer for them to use instead of the BBC microcomputer. It was noted that Debbie seemed to attract most of the phenomena. And when she was present in the home, messages were most often received. But ironically, not when Ken was present. Ken seemed to block the messages when he was around. They all agreed that it was important for silence as any interference like noises or loud emotions prevented the transmittal of messages. Loud emotions, what would that be? So if you're really upset, I guess, um, and you're crying or screaming or you're angry, maybe that would block those those messages from coming through. Okay, right? because why? it produces a lot of energy. Uh, negative energy, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah, yeah okay. At one point in the investigation, a researcher who was more sympathetic to them was suddenly replaced by a new person. Oh. In part two, I will go over in depth what transpired with their investigation and their conclusions. Now, back to the story. Okay. At some point, Debbie gets a puppy and yeah. names it Lucas. Lucas the puppy. 2109 somehow knows this and is very upset there are two Lucases in the home. Yes. And 2109 reaches out and tells them that only one Lucas can be present to avoid confusion. The other must go away. 2109 tells them they are stopping all communications between parties in order to fix the issue. Oh, really? Uh-oh. So has fascinating. To go. Lucas has to go. The dog is a great comfort to her, and yet after a brief period of time, it seems to get sickly. Yeah, I bet it does. The dog also seems anxious and avoids the kitchen. The ghost is trying to poison it. I avoid <laughs> the kitchen, too, because, you know, too much snacking these days. Not me. I'm in there all the time. Anyway, she, <laughs> poor Debbie calls a veterinarian. She tells the veterinarian her dog has come down with parvo, a dangerous virus, and gives the dog a 50-50 chance of living. It's probably the plague from the 16th century. Oh, my God. <laughs> Holly, you're cracking me up. Anyway, the veterinarian gives the dog medicines, hoping it will recover. But Debbie brings the dog back to the cottage as it appears to be making a comeback. But within the same afternoon, the dog suddenly dies. Oh, Poor Lucas. Yeah. Mm. Poor Lucas. A friend of Lucas's then starts communicating using the light box. Wait, wait, wait. A friend of Lucas the ghost, you mean? Lucas from the 16th century. Yeah, okay. That's Not right. Lucas the dog. No. See how confusing this is already? <laughs> I just want to make sure we're clear. You know, when you have too many people named the same. I hate it when families do that. You know, Billy Sr., Billy Jr., no, and Billy the Third, And then you're all trying to communicate. And it's like, which Billy? Yeah. You have to be looking at them. Yeah. A friend of Lucas's starts communicating using the light box. He confirms to them that Lucas has been arrested and was being held by the local sheriff, Sir Thomas Falshurst, due to his communications with the light box or Leem's Boist. They assume he's using witchcraft. Mm. The friend also confirms Lucas gave him permission to communicate with them and that there is a metal grate over his cell. 
he seems to be okay because he's heard him singing in Latin to pass the time away. (laughs) Weird. So quite the match to Debbie's dream. Right. The group of friends have all gotten to know Lucas over the months, forming a warm bond and friendship with him. They frantically try to figure out a way to save his life. At this time... This feels like a Hollywood movie. It does. At this time, they try sending a message directly to 2109 to see if this person or group of people can help them. 2109 responds with a dire warning that their interference with the experiment can lead to trouble, saying, Ken, Deb, Peter, try to understand, and this is a quote, try to understand that you three have a purpose that shall in your lifetime change the face of history. We, 2109, must not affect your thoughts directly, but give you some sort of guidance that will allow room for your own destiny. How would he know that, though? Exactly. Mm. All we can say is that we are all part of the same God, whatever he is, end quote. I will mention here that their roommate, Nick, is no longer part of the group since she moved out of the home. But it is strange that somehow 2109 knows this and doesn't include her in his message. Like he already knows. Isn't that weird? Hmm. I think 2109 lives upstairs in the attic and is Mm. watching everything from (laughs) above. Yeah. It seems seems 2109 knows everything. Mm -hmm. 2109 never confirms what the numbers mean. Or that they are from that year, the person just signs off using that set of numbers in place of a name. This infuriates Ken because 2109 speaks in riddles and has terrible spelling. 2109, though, tries to give them a riddle which might help save Lucas if it is relayed to the king, but the group can't make sense of it. Tell the king the cat chased the mouse of the sick. I would think that would be a reference to getting rid of the plague. Because weren't like yeah. rats responsible yes. for the plague. Yes. So, so maybe cats this is how you chase... would resolve the, the yeah. plague. Anyway, right? they don't understand it. So 2109 was the bean in the beginning that brought no. the... Oh. That was one. Okay. So one and 2109 are doing an experiment. I see. Okay. I'm sorry. I think yeah. I missed that. Okay. I'm and sorry. I think what happened is that this group of people from 1985, because they're living in the home, yeah. are messing up their experiment I, are getting somehow involved tapping into it with their computer right okay got it okay so this is a this is a wild story and it is hard to follow but anyway yeah they plead with lucas's friend for his real name um just so that they might be able to research his fate in historical documents they're trying to see like does he die what happens to him right. but his friend said he does not trust them enough because he doesn't know who betrayed lucas and got him arrested oh so somebody said yeah. hey this guy's doing Somebody's witchcraft in his house and right. he's got this weird device or whatever he said sheriff Falshurst is only keeping lucas alive because of the light box meanwhile english teacher peter trindell contacts a librarian, Robin Peel, working at Brosnose College. Mm-hmm. She researches possible candidates for Lucas's identity and thinks it might be between two people, John or Thomas Harden. Robin feels it has to be Thomas because John goes on to become principal of the college, and they agree that it would be unlikely he would quit his position to go live in a small village raising chickens and farming. But, you know, Holly, urban living isn't for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. The friend writes to them and tells them the sheriff wants to speak with them directly. 
they are having issues communicating with them because on their end, the light box is not visible to everyone and works the best when Lucas is present, but he's in jail. The light box disappears every time they attempt to move it. So Ken pleads to have the sheriff release Lucas, send him home so they can prove his innocence by sharing communications, which might help. Peter remembers reading about a former dean of the college, Bishop Mann, who had in 1533 communicated with Elizabeth Barton, the infamous Maid of Kent. Barton was a Catholic nun who had made prophecies condemning the marriage of King Henry VIII to Anne Boleyn Mm -hmm. and who was executed as a result in 1534. Now, they already had this news. And so this would make Bishop Mann a traitor to the king. So Peter and Ken relay this to Lucas's friend, and they hope that it will be used as a bargaining chip with the sheriff. The next message they receive is from Lucas, who is temporarily freed to be under supervision at his house by the sheriff, who is still wanting to know how the light box worked and what other information they could share to make him powerful and in favor of the king. So the sheriff has like these grand ideas that he's going to become the king's right-hand man, Uh, right? The power of this box. The power of this box. I can bring you and foretell your future kind of thing. So he's got an interest in it now. Sure. And Lucas tells them that Catherine, his cook, though, has been taken and lives with people he doesn't approve of. Later in the story, he finds out she's actually been killed based on her close association for being a part of Lucas's household. That's hardcore. It's yeah. medieval. It's total, <laughs> total voodoo, bad, yeah. bad news. They yeah. were brutal back then. Yeah. Eventually, Lucas admits to his real name being Thomas Harden, spelled H-A-W-A-R-D-E-N, but pronounced Harden. According to records, Thomas Harden was a dean of a church in Gloucestershire in the 1500s, but was expelled for refusing to expunge the name of the Pope from a book in the chapel, as was required by law after the break with Rome. Oh. So there is some evidence for his existence. And it does make sense if he was expelled, why he's now just like living in this little village and, you know, and living in in an alias too, with an alias. So 2109 then sends a message to Kin, demanding him to tell them everything he knows about Lucas's real identity. There is a sense that 2109 is very worried about something. So he's really upset that they found out his name. Okay. So I don't know why, but he's just like really angry about the whole thing. Yes. Okay. The messages, along with the stress of poltergeist activity, is taking its toll on Debbie and Ken. Mm -hmm. Debbie moves out for a period of time and Ken becomes really apathetic to everything. So whatever's happening in this house is really affecting him. Yeah. He's actually becoming really depressed, which really is what happens when people are being over a period of time subjected to paranormal uh, poltergeist negative entities. Yeah. So that rings true to me. Yep. He's tired of trying to figure out everything and he wants a peaceful home. He's probably just exhausted from it. He is. It's like taking over his life. And at one point, 2109 tells Ken that they will try to help block these disturbances in order to give them a much needed break. So that that is kind of cool too, that he has abilities to kind of keep this from happening. 
This book was a bit much to digest and gave me a royal headache trying to keep track of the order of events yeah. and all the people involved. It sounds incredible. And just like you, Holly, it sounds like a melodrama or something. About mm. halfway through, many would think this is just someone's idea of selling a book or having, at the very least, a very vivid imagination. Right. Because the story is full of twists and turns and drama, and it seems to, like, pull you in and, like, keep you reading. Yeah. You know, just like someone would do when they're planning out, you know, a movie script right. or something like that. Right. It's really hard for most people to swallow. Yeah. Critics who are quick to debunk the story, they make their case with the instability of the text. As the story progresses, both Ken and Thomas change their style of communication to help mimic the other for better understanding. When this happens, it can seem like the correspondence of both parties can be from the same person, uh -huh. most likely Ken, right? right? So he's yeah. very suspicious. Yeah. And however, there are arguments that prove this cannot be the case, and we will explore this further in part two. Furthermore, many messages had to be recalled from memory because some mysteriously were vanished uh, from the computer after being received. Hmm. Um, there was also messages that they said were tampered with, and they think it was 2109 who was doing this. Oh, weird. Like putting in weird things and like interrupting the communications because it was trying to change some of the communications to control what yeah. was going on. Yeah. So it's hard to like know what's real. Huh. What what messages are really authentic? Right. What are from his memory? Right. What were coming from 2109? It's yeah. just a mess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I hope to bring more of an understanding of the paranormal activity going on in this house and discuss the possibility of finding Thomas Harden's book if it truly exists because Thomas Harden said he was writing on his end all of his experiences and everything that was happening to him with 2109 and 1. So what are the chances that he got that book published in 1500, like 15 whatever year he's in? Um, what are the odds that that even would survive or be a thing? Well, I think we should do the cards on it in part two and see. Okay. I mean, after I, you know, go through all the investigations, yeah. the possibilities, because there are people out there. This book has not been found yet. Yeah. And people, there are diehard fans of this yeah. uh, book that truly believe this happened. Yeah. And they're searching for it oh, as we speak. Huh. And I'm going to, you know, propose some theories as to where it might be. Have there been any documentaries made about this? Oh, there's been several. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, there have. Really? Um, and, you know, a lot of them really just, they point to the text being too crazy to really make a case. Yeah. But in this second edition of the book, Ken really talks about how, you know, the studies and the research that they did was really trying to prove it as a hoax without considering the full other aspects involved. Huh. Like they totally disregarded all the paranormal activity going on. Right, right. So it seems to many who read the story that Ken must be at the very least embellishing the story. Does Thomas Harden escape his sentence? Do we find out what kind of experiment 1 and 2109 are doing? I hope to bring more of an understanding of the paranormal activity going on in the house and discuss the possibility of finding Thomas Harden's book if it truly exists. 
We will do a deep dive next episode in part two because the Thomas Harden story is an interesting conclusion. Okay. But I am more excited about 2109's messages regarding time travel. Oh, cool. Yeah. I, you know, I always wondered why the book was titled The Vertical Plane. Uh The author said it's because 2109 explained that layers of time and events are stacked upon each other vertically. Oh. And there are just a few periods of time when all the right set of circumstances allows for the simultaneous witness of multiple future and past events. Really? So the last event of this nature took place in Canada in 1941. Really? Huh. Join us next week when we discuss all these questions and we find out the conclusion of our story and much, much more. Very cool. I'm excited to hear it. Um, You know, when you're telling your story, it made me think of that movie, The Others with Nicole Kidman. Oh, yes. Because they they think that they're the ones alive and they're in like World War II. I love that movie. And then it turns out that they are actually the ghosts. Yeah, I like that. But that's what it made me think of. You know, and that's funny that you were thinking of that because I was thinking of the Netflix series, The Umbrella Academy, where they have that ministry of time that's interfering with all of the timelines and the academy of students are trying to they have like these superpowers and they're trying to go back and fix the timeline but every time they do it they mess up the experiment or they mess it up yeah trying to interfere yeah and so that my mind was kind of going through all of that oh, okay. uh, as yeah. I was, you know, reading yeah. this book. It's but definitely it, been um, referenced in popular culture. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, guys. And uh, we'll find out more and oh, get into the research tuned. part of this. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Have a great time. week. Bye. Affection, affectional. Okay. Sorry. When I said interact, I didn't mean take over. (laughs) Holly, are you going to tell the story? Or is Carol? (laughs) It was so awesome. That was pretty funny. Because, like, you knew more about the topic than me. Yeah. So, like, you were super excited. Or I was like, oh my God. And then then this happened. And then that happened. Remember that one time I looked up something you were talking about and you're like, are you researching this one? <laughs> I know. Holly would have this thing where she would have her computer opened while I'm telling a story. Nowadays, she doesn't do that. No, she closes it. It's clear over there on the bed. She's gotten in too much trouble with me yeah. because she would be researching while I'm telling my story. Well, it was so it was interesting. So I'm like, oh, I want to know more about I this. Know. I know. So just shutting up and listening to your story. It's so funny. They're in your brain. They see your dreams. They know what you want. As the flames die down, do remain undaunted. Though all hitchhikers are ghosts and all dolls are definitely haunted. Hey guys, be sure to follow us on Instagram. Our handle is at Fireside Phantoms. If you have a spooky story you would like to share with us, send it to firesidephantoms at gmail.com and you may hear it on a future episode.